Well, hey, and welcome to the Quad City Podcast, where we are on mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. We're so glad you're joining us in that today. Well, before we dive into today's sermon, would you do me a quick favor? Would you go ahead and open your app store and search Quad City Christian Church? Download our app because it's the best way to stay connected with what's happening here at Quad City. If you're new joining us for the first time, click that new here form as we'd love to reach out and connect with you. You could also submit prayer requests and even give on that same app. It's the best way to stay connected here at Quad City. Well, hey, now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into our sermon from Sunday. We hope you enjoy. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're so honored that you have chosen to start your week off by worshiping with us here at Quad City Christian Church. If you're a newcomer with us, we are so glad that you are here today. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us online from whenever and wherever you are. So grateful to have you part of the Quad City family. I want to say a shout out to all of those out in Prescott Valley right now. So glad to have you with us worshiping today. Uh, So looking forward to our official launch, which is February 20th. So make sure you're inviting some people to join you. Uh, For all of us on both campuses, there are invite cards available with times and dates on them. So I encourage you to grab some of those at the Connection Center on your way out and make sure that you share that date. It's really really an exciting time to be a part of the church uh, here at Quad City. Uh, Before we dive into our message today, I do have one quick announcement that I want to make, and that is an announcement to encourage you to jump into a life group. A few weeks back, we talked about becoming better disciples, and one one of the points that I gave you, one of the ways that we do that is connecting to spiritual community. And so if you don't have that yet, if you're not a part of a spiritual community yet, then I want to highly encourage you, grab your phone right now, scan this QR code. There's a short thing you can uh, fill out. Uh, You can do it at Connection Central, whichever campus you're on. Really encourage you, find some people to jump into spiritual community with. Uh, In just a few weeks, we're going to be launching a brand new sermon series working our way through some of the parables of Jesus, and it is a great opportunity for you to jump into a group. We believe that content like that always uh, connects us better to Jesus and each other when we are sitting in circles and not just in rows. So find a spiritual community. We also could really use some new life group leaders. So some of you haven't led in a while, you haven't done a group in a while, but you know what it's like, you've been a part this would be an awesome opportunity for you to raise your hand and say, yeah, I'd like to get jump back in. Uh, they'll, we'll be done. It's usually one semester here, uh, and so it's a short time for you to jump in and lead a group, see if it's for you. Uh, but highly encourage you, scan the code, jump into a life group before we jump into our next series. It's a great New Year's resolution. So let's dive in today. We are continuing this series that we began a few weeks ago where we're working our way 
through our mission statement. So the mission of the church of Jesus, every God-fearing, Jesus-loving, Bible-believing church has the same mission. Jesus gave it to us. We call it the Great Commission. It is to go make disciples. Now, every ecclesia, every gathering, every body may frame the good commission in, I'm sorry, the great commission in a little bit different way to contextualize it to their church. That's what we've done. We've put some language around it, not so that we can just know it, not even so that we can just believe it, but so that it can have some handles on it that sinks into our soul that we begin to actually reorient our life and our priorities to accomplish the mission. And so that's what we've been talking about for the last few weeks. Here's the way that, that our leadership has decided to frame our mission statement. Here it is. That we exist to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. So let's play along. Everybody, PV, join in. Let's say this out loud together. That we exist to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. So that's, that's what we want to orient our life around. So again, if you're just jumping in with us, the first week we talked about what it means to make more disciples. Second week we talked about better disciples. Last week we talked about where we're supposed to make disciples, and that is everywhere. This week we're going to talk about what it means to make disciples always. But before I get to the always, I don't want to skip over what could be the most two most important words in this whole thing, that we're to make disciples of Jesus, of Jesus. Now that may seem like a given, but it's really not. Remember, a disciple is simply a learner or a follower. That's what it means to, to, to be a disciple. Um, and here's what I want you to hear today. You are already, always becoming a disciple, and you are always making disciples. Like always. Like that's your life. We're doing it all the time. You are always being transformed into something, and you are always helping others to be transformed into something. Always. Think about it like this. It's like, it's like water dripping on concrete. Little by little, over time, the little drips change the concrete. It can cut through it, right? The, and it's the little drips of the things that you're hearing in your music, the little drips of the things you're watching on your screens, the things you're learning in your podcast, the things you're being taught in the classrooms, the things you're consuming on your news feeds, the books you're reading, the people you're hanging around with, the videos you're scrolling through, the, through all of those little drip, 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 drip of your life, you are being transformed. You are being changed. Your worldview is changing. Your emotions are being changed. The people who are creating that content that you're consuming every day, they are working to get you angry about this thing and get you numb to those things. That's their agenda. They, they are constantly trying to shift the way that you think to become more like the way they think. They are trying to shift your values to become like their values. They are trying to make your beliefs become like their beliefs. They want you to see the world the way that they see the world so that in the end you will begin to act the way that they act. Every day you are being 
discipled by the world. Every day. Always. It is always happening. Which is why, when we're talking about discipleship, the question is not, are we becoming better disciples? The answer to that is yes, always. You are always becoming a better disciple of something. The question is, are we becoming better disciples of Jesus? Are you becoming better disciples of Jesus? And not only are we always becoming better disciples of something, you are always making disciples of something. Like always. Like you are always discipling your children. Always. You are always discipling them. You are teaching them every single day what matters most to you. You are always showing them what is most important to you. You are always instilling values in them. You are always impacting their worldview. What you allow, what you affirm, and what you ignore are all ways that you're discipling your kids. Always. You are always discipling your friends, your coworkers. Like always. Every time you talk about your workout regimen, every time you share some nutritional information, every time you share your love of Disney or Yellowstone or Colt's Barbecue, every time you recommend a book or a podcast or a new skincare line, you are discipling people. A disciple is a learner follower. Every time you're teaching somebody something or inviting them to follow something, you are making a disciple. Always. Which again means, the question isn't, when are you making disciples? That's always. The question is, when are you making disciples of Jesus? That's what we're trying to talk about today. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn them on or turn them to Colossians chapter 4. That's where we're going to begin today. Colossians chapter 4. So Colossians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in the city of Colossae, which is in modern-day Turkey. He wrote this letter, and at the end of this letter, chapter 4 is the last chapter, at the end of this letter, he dives in to this issue of making more and better disciples of Jesus, And he invites the people of the church, the ecclesia, the gathering, to join in the process of making more and better disciples. And here's what the invitation sounds like. He begins, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God would open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So Paul's invitation to disciple-making begins with this devotion to prayer. Devote yourself to prayer. When you're making disciples, it should start by being devoted to, to prayer. That's what it means to fulfill the Great Commission. We should always begin with prayer. In fact, that's also where Jesus told his disciples to start. It was a time Jesus was hanging out and this huge crowd of people comes. In Matthew chapter 9, and Jesus sees the huge crowd. And it says his heart broke. He had great compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he sees the huge crowd and he calls his disciples over to him. And listen to what Jesus says. Jesus said, 
Then Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He says, look, there's this huge crowd and his heart's broken. To his disciples, pray. Ask the Lord of the harvest. Pray. That's where Jesus began. So Paul says, pray. Jesus says, pray. But I want to make sure that we understand something really Really important here. Don't miss this today. I want you to notice what both Jesus and Paul request prayer for. This is really, really important. Let's go, let's go back to Paul. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too. And here's the prayer request. Here's what Paul says. Here's what I want you to pray for, church. Pray that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray, here's prayer request number two, pray that I proclaim it clearly as I should. Pray that God would open the door and when I in obedience step through the open door of opportunity to share the gospel Pray that I proclaim it clearly. This is so important. Don't miss this. Paul did not look at the church and say, pray for people to come to Jesus. It's not what he prayed. He didn't ask, hey, pray for all the lost people out there. Not what he asked. He didn't ask them, pray that people are saved. It's not what he asked. He says, here's what I want you to pray for. Pray for an open door that I may proclaim the message of Jesus clearly. That's his prayer. Do you recognize the difference here? Do you understand? Think about it this way. My guess is, if you are a follower of Jesus, here's what I know. You have probably prayed for your lost neighbor. Here's the question. When was the last time you prayed for an open door to share the message of Jesus with your lost neighbor? Those are two different requests. Many of you, you've been praying for a child to come back to Jesus. Here's my question for you. When was the last time you prayed for an opportunity to proclaim the message of Jesus clearly with your lost child. Many of you have prayed for your co-workers to know Jesus. When was the last time you prayed for an opportunity to share what you know of Jesus with your co-workers? Do you, do you understand the distinction here today? Here's the thing. God saves the world through people proclaiming the message of Jesus. That's the way God saves the world. Jesus didn't say to his disciples in Matthew 9, Oh, do you see this crowd? They're harassed and helpless. Pray for them. Jesus never asked his disciples to pray for the crowd. Who did Jesus ask his disciples to pray for? Ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest field. He didn't pray for the crowd. He prayed for the people to go to the crowd. Do you see the difference? Hear me out on this. God does not save people alone. 
God uses people to save people. God doesn't make disciples alone. God uses disciples to go make disciples. God uses people to communicate the gospel to people. That's the way God set it up. And this is what we see all throughout the New Testament. Let me give you just a few examples. The Ethiopian eunuch. You remember this story? The guy on the chariot and heading down. He's got the scroll of Isaiah. And he's reading the, the, the book of Isaiah. And the Holy Spirit is at work. And the Holy Spirit could have very easily opened up the Ethiopian eyes to understand and know, to see the gospel in the book of Isaiah. But that's not what the Holy Spirit did. Instead, the Holy Spirit goes, taps on the shoulder of Philip and says, Hey, Philip, go down there and run by that chariot. So he's jogging by the chariot. He looks up and says, Do you know what you're reading? The guy says, no, I can't unless somebody explains it to me. So the guy stops the chariot. Phillips gets up in there and takes the very scroll. And from that text in Isaiah, shares the gospel with him. The Holy Spirit could have done that, but he didn't. Instead, he told Philip to go do it. Think about the Apostle Paul. He's on the road to Damascus to go arrest Christians. And Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, shows himself to Paul. And if Jesus wanted, he could have shared the gospel with Paul in that moment, but he didn't. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said to Paul, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Damascus, and when you get there, I'm going to send somebody. His name's Ananias, and he'll tell you what to do. Then Jesus goes to Ananias and says, hey, go over here and Share the gospel with this guy named Paul. I'm going to use him in amazing ways. And Ananias said, I really don't want to do that. He kills people like me. <laughs> Jesus said, do it. Ananias gets up, goes, shares the gospel. And it, as Paul is telling his own testimony in Acts chapter 28, he says, it was Ananias who told me the gospel and said, get up. What are you waiting for? Be baptized, have your sins washed away, because God uses people to save people. It's happened in Cornelius' house in, in Acts chapter 10. Cornelius, a God follower, has the angel of the Lord show up to Cornelius. And again, the angel of the Lord could have shared the gospel with Cornelius, but he didn't. Instead, he tells Cornelius, I want you to send uh, for a guy named Peter. He's at the Tanner's house, you know, the one who lives by the sea. Go send some guys, go get Peter and have him come back here. He's got some things to tell you. Cornelius goes, sends for Peter. Peter was told in a vision, hey, there's a, some guys downstairs. Get up, go with them. Peter goes to Cornelius' house, and he shares the gospel, and the Holy Spirit comes down, and Peter looks at the crowd who are now filled with the Holy Spirit and said, oh my goodness, look what God's doing. Why should these people not be baptized? Well, they should. So they are. Because God uses people to save people. God uses disciples to make Disciples. Throughout the book of Acts, the Spirit doesn't ever share the message of Jesus with people. He instead, he, he orchestrates the conversations. He sets up the meetings. 
He takes disciples and gives them opportunities to become disciple makers. Which means for us, church, we probably need to stop praying for people to come to Jesus. And we need to start praying that God would open a door for our message. We probably need to stop praying for the Holy Spirit to save people. And we should probably start praying that we may proclaim the message clearly as we should. I mean, I want you to think about this for just a second. Ready? Think about this. When we ask God, when we pray fervently, we ask God to bring people to Jesus, what we are really doing is asking God to do what he commanded us to do. Did you just hear what I said? When we ask God to bring people to Jesus, what we're really doing is asking God to do what he commanded us to do. We are actually pushing back across the table the thing that he made us responsible for. That is to make more disciples by proclaiming the good news of Jesus to them. And in the meantime, as we're shoving the thing back across the table, we feel good about ourselves because I spent time praying about it. Paul says, pray, pray. But not pray that God would save people. No, no, no. That's my responsibility. Pray that he would open the door so that when I share the message, when I step in obedience to proclaim the mystery of Jesus, that I proclaim it clearly. Pray that. Pray that. So Paul begins by saying, pray for me as I, as I work to be obedient to the message that Jesus has given me to go make disciples. But he doesn't leave it with pray for me. Now he turns it and starts talking to the church. So be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. And make the most of every opportunity. There is so much to glean from this one sentence. Let me give you just four really quick truths that just, that this one sentence makes so clear. Here's First one, there are those who are in and there are those who are out. Paul says, make the most, I'm sorry, be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. There are those who are in and there are those who are out. There are those who are part of the family of God and those who are not part of the family of God. This idea that we have in our culture, this idea that has even crept into the church, that everybody's in and we're all big part of one big family, we're all children of God, it's not true. There are those who are in the kingdom and there are those who are out. Here's number two. We should be interacting with outsiders. If you're an insider, you should be interacting with outsiders on a regular basis. Paul doesn't command them, stay away from outsiders. That's not what he says. Instead, he says, be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. We should be interacting with people 
who aren't part of the kingdom. How else will they become part of the kingdom? Which brings us to the third point. Our actions impact outsiders. Our actions impact outsiders. The way you act toward outsiders matters. Which is why Paul says, be wise. Be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. In other words, there are unwise ways to act toward outsiders. Lastly, every interaction is an opportunity. Every interaction is an opportunity. So make the most of it. That's what Paul says. Be wise in the way that you make or act toward outsiders, and make the most of every opportunity. Opportunity to do what? An opportunity to help an outsider become an insider by proclaiming the gospel, to share Jesus, to make disciples. Make the most of every opportunity. When are we supposed to make disciples of Jesus? Always. With every opportunity, make the most of every open door, every opportunity, every interaction is an opportunity. So Paul says, make the most of them. And again, please don't buy into the lie. Do not try to convince yourself that just being nice and just being neighborly and just being a good enough person that that's going to make a disciple. Don't buy into that lie. Because it is a lie. It's not true. Which is why Paul continues in our text. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Paul recognizes for you to help an outsider becoming insider, to make a disciple, there's going to have to be grace-filled conversations. There has to be. There are going to be some questions that they're going to need you to help find the answers to. You're going to have to have conversations. Hear this today. No one becomes a disciple of Jesus simply by watching a disciple of Jesus. Nobody becomes a disciple of Jesus simply by watching a disciple of Jesus. Now, you can keep people from becoming a, a disciple of Jesus simply by watching a disciple of Jesus. But you can't make a disciple simply by having people watch a disciple. It does not work that way. You can't make a disciple by actions alone. At some point, every single one of us, as we become disciples of Jesus, we have to have a conversation. We actually have to hear the good news of Jesus. Somebody has to proclaim it clearly. As they should. You're going to have, if, you, if you're obedient to make the most of every opportunity, you're going to have to have some potentially difficult conversations. Which is why Paul says they need to be seasoned with grace. Not judgmental. Not legalistic. Seasoned with, I'm sorry, full of grace and seasoned with salt. Salt is healing. Salt is cleansing. Salt makes bad things taste better. Which is why Paul says, these conversations, they're going to be hard and they're going to be people and they're going to need healing. You need to be full of grace and seasoned with salt. 
And you need to make the most of every opportunity. Because God uses people to save people. Now, let me back up to our mission statement again. When we first started tossing around what this language is going to sound like, there was a part of me that was a little leery of the word always. And the reason I was a little bit leery is because there's a a way in which this word actually could demotivate us a little bit. That there's a, a way in which this actually causes us to have less urgency for the mission. Because in our mind, we say things like, well, there's always tomorrow. We can always do it later. There's always another opportunity. And, and that word always can actually demotivate or, or remove some of our urgency. But my hope is, my desire is that this word always wouldn't make it seem like the opportunities are endless, which it could, but it, I, I want this word always to create urgency for us. Like, when are you supposed to make disciples of your kids? Always, like, always, like every time, not one time, every time. Like, when are you going to have the conversation with your neighbor? Like, always, like, with every opportunity, with every open door, always. The word always here isn't meant to diminish our urgency, but to create it. So I'm going to spend the last couple of minutes together here trying to create some urgency for us. And I'm going to go to James chapter 4. So James is the brother of Jesus, and he addresses in this text in James chapter 4 why we should have a sense of urgency about making disciples. James chapter 4, and here's what he says. Now listen. You who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that, we'll spend a year there, carry on business and make money. James says, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are but a mist that appears for a while and then vanishes. Last week I said to some of you, I said, look, you got 10 years left. You got 10 years Like, that's it. You got 10 years. How do you want to go into the kingdom in the last decade of your life? And then I actually had some people kind of got a little upset because I said you only got 10 years left. Like, (gasps) so I'm going to double down today. Okay. I want to double down. And here's what I want you to hear today. The reality is there are some people in this room today who will not be here a year from now. There are people in this room right now, and you will not be on this planet a year from now. And I'm not saying that today to fear monger anybody. I'm just telling you the reality. There will be a car accident. There will be a fatal heart attack that no one sees coming. There will be an aggressive cancer diagnosis that nobody knew was happening and is going in your body right now. That's the reality today. This isn't, this isn't, it shouldn't be surprising or shocking or crazy. This is life. I've been doing ministry for over 20 years. I've been here for over 13. I can tell you that it's true. And it's not just true for the 80-year-olds. 
And what James is trying to remind us of in this moment is that your life is short. Your neighbor's life is short. Your children's life is short. It is a vapor. It is a mist and then it's gone and you can't do a thing about it. Which is why James adds, instead, instead of saying, well, I'll go do this and then I'll go do that and if I get around to it, I'll do the other thing. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live. If it's the Lord's will, you will live past tomorrow. If it's the Lord's will, you'll make it another year. If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, You boast in your arrogant schemes, and all such boasting is evil. Every time you say, well, I'll do it next week, and I can't wait in a year from now, and then five years from now, I'm going to do that thing. When you're doing that, he says, you are boasting in your arrogance as if somehow you have control over your days. And all such boasting is evil. I mean, that's a a harsh word. It's evil. He doesn't say such boasting is a bad idea. Such such boasting is unwise. No, no, no. Such boasting, it's evil, meaning it comes straight from the pit of hell. It is a product of the evil one when you boast like that. Such boasting is, it's evil. Banking on someday... James says, is of the devil. Here's the truth. One of the greatest tools that the enemy has in his tool bag is to convince you of someday. 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 For some of you, most of us, the enemy, he doesn't try to tell you you don't need to do that. He just got to convince you you don't need to do that today. He's not trying to tell you not to do it. Just, you ain't got to do it today. You need to put down the booze. But you you don't got to put it down today. You need to get out of that relationship. But you don't have to get out today. You need to be obedient to baptism. But you, you don't have to obey today. You can do it someday. It's always next week. You you need to forgive that person, but you don't have to forgive them today. You you do need to change your priorities. Your priorities are way out of whack. You need to change your priorities, but you don't have to to change them today. You can do them next week. You can do it a year from now. You don't have to do it today. You need to share your faith. Yes, the enemy would say, yes, you need to do that, but you don't need to do it today today. You need to make disciples of your kids, but you don't have to do it today. You need to share your faith with your neighbor, but you don't have to do it today. And according to James, that kind of thinking, it's evil. It's evil, which is why he adds, if anyone then who knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. God says, when you know the good thing that you're supposed to be doing, you've got this, God is telling you, you need to do this, and you don't do it. That's sinful. It's sinful. If you know the good thing, you know the right thing, and you don't do it, it is sin. 
If you know you should have that conversation and you don't have it, it's sinful. Why? Because what is your life? Because you're a vapor. You're a mist. The person who lives next door to you, their life is a vapor. It's a mist. You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. God is saying, in that moment, I have given you this chance, this chance, this opportunity, this open door, and you don't know if it's going to come around again. You may not get a second chance. There might not be another opportunity. And you are putting it off as if somehow you have control of your days. What is your life? It's a vapor. And you're going to be so arrogant as to say to God, I'll do it later. Like you have control over how many breaths you take today. If you know the good you ought to do, then do it. Make the most of every opportunity because you don't know if you'll ever get another one. When are we supposed to make disciples? Always. Every open door, every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity because you don't know if another one's coming. Let's be a church. We're making more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere. Always. Because life is short. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would put in us an urgency a burden, a fire in our soul for the lost people around us. We're not praying that you would bring them to salvation. We're praying that you would give us the chance to be obedient and share the gospel. Open the door and then give us the courage to speak. And when we speak, may we speak clearly as we should. God, we want to see outsiders become insiders. And the way that you do that is by using the insiders to reach the outsiders. So use us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. And thank you so much for joining us today here at the Quad City Podcast. Hey, our desire is that we would each look more and more like Jesus every day, week, month, and year. And we know that that doesn't just come from learning more about him and his word, but by actually applying it to our lives today. We hope that you take this message that you heard today and apply it to your life in a way that makes you honor him. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Be sure to download the Quad City app and we will see you again next time.